it's funny I do quite a bit of non-disclosure work yeah of course yeah 100% and, yeah where you can't even claim the work because their designers are claiming it and they're you know but those are the jobs that pay the best because it's like well if you don't want my name attached to this you're going to pay a fortune for that so those are good jobs to get when you can get them you know you're listening to art heroes podcast the show to help you thrive as a digital artist tune in to learn how to transform your passion into a career get inspired by other kick-ass 2d and 3d artists and find out what it takes to be an art hero. Hi guys, welcome to the show. This is Maria JD. I'm your host and I'm really excited about starting this episode because on episode 19, today we're meeting Thomas S. Wittelsbach. Thomas is not only super well known in the industry as the expert on jewelry, but also Thomas worked on big titles like Big Fish and Jurassic Park 3. And Thomas has done everything that a 3D artist pretty much can do in the space. So with his loads of experience, he's currently teaching around 700 students at a time. I don't know how he does that. And at this episode, he's sharing a lot, a lot, a lot. I really hope you find it useful. Let's get going. All right, Thomas, we're now live. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Guys, everyone, welcome again. And this is uh, Thomas Wittelsbach today and uh, all the jewelry that we can, you know, all the jewelry information. (laughs) Um, Thomas, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course, thanks for having me. Yeah, Um, Thomas, we were just like chatting before we uh, started recording this podcast and you mentioned like how many, how, how much content you have like in like, gigabytes and terabytes about making jewelry how much was that again 109 terabytes or 109 yeah 109 terabytes yes (laughs) that's all your live streams and no 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 that's mostly models and one set of backup of the models and mostly content really not i i'm not all my streams are saved through Pixelogic and through Twitch, so none of that's actually on drives. That's just models. That's just models. Oh yeah. my god! And so, research, you know, <laughs> <laughs> lots of research. So when did you actually start, like working on, like with jewelry? So I started jewelry at about two thousand. Well, Big Fish was my last film. I think that was two thousand and three. 2004, somewhere in there. And then I was like, okay, what am I gonna do? I had a huge warehouse space and I kind of partied for a year. I didn't really do much. We just hosted after hours and well, needless to say, it was a very fast year or a really incredibly slow one, depending (laughs) on what day it was. (laughs) But so then I was like, okay, I might as well do this. So on the first Pirates of the Caribbean, I made some skull rings and stuff. And people were like, oh, you have to make some skull rings. You have to make skull rings. I'm like, you're an idiot. I got a real job here. <laughs> and then when I left the film industry, it, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And um, I wanted to leave LA. And it, it just so happened the guy my mom lived with fell through the ice and died in, in Northwest Wisconsin. And so I went there for the funeral and my mom 
was pretty tore up about it. So I was like, well, you know what? I'll just move here and hang out with you. So now I'm living in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that was an interesting idea. Maybe that was a little impulsive. And so I discovered Matrix, um, which is the jewelry program that sits on top of Rhino. And they had a mill set with it because there wasn't really buying printers for home at that time. And um, unless you had $25,000, of course, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> easy. And, yeah, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I bought the mill and I bought the program and I sat in the middle of BFE, you know, neck deep in snow, nowhere, and uh, taught myself ZBrush or taught myself Matrix. And then I went back to LA to visit maybe a year and a half later. And my friend David Krentz, who um, is a very well-known dinosaur sculptor and he was a character designer at Disney and uh, he was my roommate at CalArts and so he showed me ZBrush and I was like oh my god this is the future okay so I bought ZBrush and 16 years later I'm now using ZBrush a lot <laughs> so it was sort of a decision well what am I going to do and I knew people wanted the skull rings you know I'd been asked to make skull rings so I was like well I'll just make a bunch of skull rings so it all started with skull rings. <laughs> Gosh, this is insane. Yeah. And so um, what was the main thing before jewelry, like movies and all, yeah. like for decades? Yeah, yeah I worked in, um, well, I did fine art sculpting coming out of CalArts, and then I went right into the film industry because CalArts had a really tight tie to the film industry. Tim Burton was one of our alum and that whole little mafia was out there. So I worked on Hook, freelance, didn't quite make my hours. And then um, I think Congo, the movie Congo, I made my hours, joined the union. And it was about eh, 10, 11 years, something like that, whatever that turned out. And I worked in the film industry. So... And yeah, what made was... you, like, what made you leave the whole thing? Because that's kind of a, the way where many artists would love to head and would love to see themselves oh, in, you know, like big titles. Yeah. So basically it was a couple of things. One, I got to the top of where I would go as a sculptor, right? I was leading films. Okay. So that's it. You know, I was fairly young. It wasn't like, you know, I was like, okay. So this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I was like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm like, this is going to get boring. Because I have that sort of OCD overachiever thing where like if I started, I got to be good at it or why bother doing it? So I finished. I was good at it. I was like, okay, I'm leading films. And, um, and then my friend was a production designer and he was like, look, you know, I'll take you on as an art director, you know, so you'll, you don't have to go through a lot of the steps. I'll bring you in fairly high in the art department stuff, but you're still gonna have to work for, you know, like five, six years before you really start getting projects that you're going to enjoy. And I was like, oh, yeah. do I really want to start at the bottom again? And do I want to work through all these assholes again? And I mean, Hollywood, I mean, all the films you've seen about Hollywood being a horrible place, uh, are jokes. Hollywood's a horrible place. <laughs> as bad as it seems, it's a lot worse. And my last film should have been a great film. I mean, I was working with Tim, and but I, I hired a guy, and uh, he did everything in his power to undermine me and make it a complete horrible shit show. 
And um, I just, I was like, all right, you know, I'm done. I was just sick of it. And I did a commercial and he was working on a commercial afterwards and he died on set. And I was like, oh, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And then I'm thinking about it and I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of turning into a horrible person. <laughs> it's like, I need to get out of here. And so I was like, you know, you, you have to get to be that person or you're not going to succeed because people will do everything in their power. Once you're on top, they will do everything in the power to destroy that. And I was just like, okay, you know, what am I going to do? And I, I bought the place where we had, we rented it out to clubs, you know, and so <laughs> I did nice. that, like I said, for years. And then I was like, okay, I actually need to do something. Cause I mean, I had a lot of savings, you know, I was making a lot of money. And so I had plenty of savings. So I was just, jerking around until I was like, okay, fine, I need to do something. And that's when I moved to Wisconsin and really sat down doing this, you know, it's, it's. Right. But yeah, Hollywood was great. The money was great and it's horrible. I mean, you, when they say you lose your soul, it's kind of true. It's a horrible place. All if right. you want to be on top, you know. Gosh. Sounds great. Like that sounds like so enthusiastic and <laughs> just like the place where everybody would love to go. Right. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because the money's alluring, you know, I mean, percent. Oh, yes, of course. Over $11,000 a week take home. And that was 20 years ago. You know, I mean, it's, it's a lot of money and um, yeah, it just got to the point that Either I was going to work for a lot more money and become more horrible a person or change, you know, and I'm not the person who could just go take jobs with people. I do have that OCD achiever thing. So I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm not going to jump over. I'm done. And so, Amazing. So yeah. what is the typical project that you work on now? Like, you know, these days, <laughs> what's your typical, um, like, you know, activity during the week? For the last few years, I've been trying to do sort of these sweat equity things where I, um, I charge very little, like, you know, pay my bills and I'll do this and then we'll split the proceeds. You know, you do the, you provide the money and the marketing and all that and I'll provide the product. And so those are slow going and, but basically right now I've been doing, um, like right this second, I'm designing a line for this fashion designer. The brand is called Marvo and, um, he has really good, like his line is well-established fashion-wise. So getting the jewelry line in there, all of that marketing has already been done. So yeah. I have faith that once we've got that going, that'll be the, so basically we discuss um, sort of what theme he wants, you know, I generate the parts, we look at it, he edits it, he looks at it, edit, blah, blah, blah. And we just kind of build a line that way. But it's tricky because we started... I'm going to say September last year. And um, we've gone through three completely different styles. It started out as sort of like French gothic-y stuff, sort of chrome heartsy stuff. And then it switched to Navajo 60s biker stuff. And now it's Navajo 60s biker stuff and trippy hippie stuff. So now it's the Navajo stuff with smiley faces. I'm, and so it's really fascinating trying to work with someone else's 
design and brand yeah and you're just like uh, okay and so i do that a lot you know that's what i've been working on mostly and i tend to i tend to help quite a few people who are friends they're like oh tomas you know we need this piece and i'll try to do that or you know i yeah spend a lot of time with students calling yeah. me and asking i'm a huge resource of uh, a huge wealth of information because <laughs> I, I can't can tell say no to people, you know, people are like, well, how do I do this? And I'm like, well, here, let's just Skype. It's easier for me to show it to you than send you. It'll take 10 minutes for me to show you this as opposed to you spending seven hours looking at videos that don't apply to anything, you know? So, well, yeah, a lot of that. <laughs> forget, forget like 70 hours researching the right videos and then seven oh, yeah. hours looking at these videos. Yeah, and then, it, yeah. And then distilling the information for probably another 77 hours <laughs> yeah. when i go look here push this button rub it like this Ta -da! that's all you needed to know great you go <laughs> so it's, it's right. interesting because i have you know i probably have maybe 700 students at this point out and about who are actual students and then um wow like i've gone like to tiffany's and other places and you know uh, so places I have non-disclosures with because they want to still be, no, we make things by hand. I'm like, well, I guess technically you do. You use ZBrush. Um, so, you know, it's funny. I do quite a bit of non-disclosure work. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Where you can't even claim the work because their designers are claiming it. And they're, you know, but those are the jobs that pay the best because it's like, well, if you don't want my name attached to this, you're going to pay a fortune for that. So those are good jobs to get when you can get them, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I can tell. So basically for you these days, it's uh, uh, in between uh, designing jewelry for other like brands and jewelry makers and like teaching and uh, mentoring students. And have you tried um, like actually creating your jewelry, your own like jewelry line? Oh yeah, um, I have like my work is out there floating. Right now, because I've been doing a lot of work with other people, trying to get a solid manufacturing facility where I can send work to and know that my work's hard to make. You know, I'm excessively uh, anal about everything I do. And so it's trying to get it to be right is very difficult. And so um, my business partner, Tony uh, Rodriguez, he's really the jeweler behind me. We met when I first came in and there were these handful of people that were in the matrix world who were like, holy cow, you need to be making jewelry. And because, you know, I'm a sculptor. I'm not a jeweler. I'm a sculptor who makes jewelry objects. And so I approach it very differently. And uh, I'm, you know, if you're a jeweler, you're like, oh, well, wall thickness has to be this. And oh, prong thickness has to be that. And I'm like, well, no, let's try this. And exactly. I'm not a, I've been doing it long enough that I know that there are places you can get away with it and places you can't. But when you were trained with those rules, it takes a long time to say, okay, well, let's try something else. And um, I had a relationship with uh, the casting house in Chicago. It's a big casting facility. And um, they took, when I was first starting, they took on my work. Um, the guy who owned it was like, hell yeah, we're going to make that. It, the things we thought would be problematic were easy things that we thought were going to be super easy were hard. And you're like, oh, wow. You, you start to realize that once you come out of the computer and go into casting, it's voodoo. Casting is voodoo. It, 
unless you've been doing it your entire life, you have an entire catalog of every cast you've done, you know, it, you never know how it's going to turn out. The humidity in the shop changes, you know, the temperature, I mean, it's weird. It's, it's pure voodoo. And so <laughs> wow, I learned a lot with having incredibly talented casters do my work. And it's, it's one of the funny things about students is everyone wants to do everything in their garage. I want to do my own casting and I want to do my own printing and I want to do, like, stop. Learn yeah, but like, I guess also, like, we're, we're talking about different, like, levels of quality. I think it's uh, one thing if you want to test something and sure. if you want to just, like, see how, how it looks like as a shape, like, just physical yes. object. Oh, without a question. But, but, like, then perfection is a totally different story. Yes. When you make, when you make something, like, completely that is, like, just yeah. just like unique and and just sellable and viable and likable and repeatable and, and repeatable wow important yeah. yeah and that's one of the things it's like well anyone can make anything once you know because you don't have to make a mold of it right you know you print it you can get someone to burn it out and cat i mean we can burn out insects you know what i mean and get the hair on bees legs in a casting once you're not making that mold and redoing it so, okay. you know, that's a tricky thing. And I would say everybody needs a printer, buy a printer, end of story. You know, because you know nothing until you're holding an object in your hand. And um, especially with like rings and I, I, like when you're doing critiques, you see people doing these things and it's like, okay, well, you do understand that you made a pendant with like eight samurai swords sticking out every side. Well, okay, put that against your chest. Okay, now have your friend come up and give you a hug. Oh, great, you've just impaled two people. You know, <laughs> not realistic jewelry. You know? it's like, all you're going to do is hurt somebody. We, there was this infamous ring, and I was working at a place called Green Lake Jewelry, and they do mostly bridal. And this woman wanted this dragon holding this big, beautiful diamond. And so I, I you know, the Like, seriously? A dragon on the jewelry? Oh, yeah. Okay. with horns and a big pointy tail and so I had the horns and I went from the horn all the way back down so it looks sharp from the front but you know it it's not a spear and they yelled at me and and the tail was the same way I was like look you have to sign a piece of paper I'm not going to let this go out this is dangerous you know this is these are needles you know and no, no, we're, 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 we're. brides are horrible I'm just going to say bridezilla is truism. Brides are absolutely insane. Uh, they're insane things. They, you know, once you're married, I think hopefully that changes. But until that marriage day, you're crazy. You're just, you're not a rational human. You're a thing called a bride. That's not a human. It's a lunatic whirlwind tornado with razor blades in it. It's, you just, no, just forget it. And so, you know, this is that thing that represents they're love. So, you know, they're always right. And you're just like, no, I'm not. I'm, you're going to have to sign a release form saying that I told you this is dangerous. And yeah. they did. And at her wedding. <laughs> oh, she's tell this. I can't wait. Okay. She's crying and she wipes her nose and those two little needles catch the inside of her septum and tear her septum. And she is bleeding profusely all over her nice white dress at her adieus. So they came in and she was screaming and yelling. And then I just went over, picked up the folder and held it up. And I was like, look, you know what? Sorry, we had this conversation. That's on your back, sister. You know? Amazing. <laughs> like, 
I was like, no, you lunatic. So working with people is always hard. <laughs> yes. But this is so like, this is so true about like, you know, the, there's all these details in jewelry. Well, yeah. actually, funny enough, this is my engagement ring and uh, it's a 3D print um, because my husband nice. happens to be um, a guy from the industry. So there is this thing, like, I don't know if you see, there is a pointy yeah. wing and yeah. um, like actually in the very beginning, this wing um, was sharp sharp yeah, sure. and pointy towards the bottom <laughs> i literally had to take my polish and <laughs> yes. because it's a death trap <laughs> it is a death trap like it's just like after a month of like scratching and like oh, you yeah. know just like a lot of self-harm involuntarily yes. it's just I mean, like if you're a masochist that's cool but you know and if you don't mind losing anything silk if you wear silk, it's dead because you've pronged it and you've destroyed yourself. And sweaters. I just yeah. call them sweater traps because you're going to destroy any sweater you put on yeah. thereafter. And I can imagine it's just like one of uh, a million problems with jewelry that yeah. you will need to solve. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because, you know, like when I was doing large stuff or you're like, okay, well, you do have to think about weight bearing and you do have to think about, oh, is it dangerous or blah, blah, blah. But jewelry is crazy it's like you know if i milled everything out and i'd wear the piece and i'd wear it mill it and wear it mill it and wear it and like that first skull ring probably took me probably about six months until i i had the design that came pretty quick but then trying to get it to where when i wore it around the house it was comfortable and it's just silly things like where in that skull does the band sit? So how far is the chin sticking out over your knuckle? How far is it sticking above to the top knuckle? What's the maximum size you can get with it being a comfortable everyday wearing ring? And um, it was a lot of, it was a lot of investigation and a lot of trying, you know, and that's where own a printer because you, you have to be able to put it on, wear it, feel it, touch it, look at it because no matter what, the thing inside the computer is not a 3D object. You know, it's semiotics. It's a signifier of a three-dimensional object, but it's not 3D. And so you're not ever going to get realistic lighting reflection. You're never going to get real depth of detail. You're never going to be able to tell wearability. And so, you know, over the years, you start to be able to identify what's there. But until you've put it on, worn it, put it on, worn it, and thing about jewelry is if you make something that sucks, you know, that's super sharp and cuts the webs of someone's finger, they're not going to give you another try. You know, oh, you've yeah. lost that customer forever, you know. And so that it's a really completely weird, different market, you know. And jewelry is one of the most insanely personable thing or personal things there are. You know, people buy jewelry as sort of like signposts in their life. You know, it's like, Every piece of jewelry you buy represents something because it's like, oh, well, I needed to go with that dress for that event or, yeah. oh, we're in Cancun. I'm going to buy this dumb silver turtle, you know, it, it, but that's going to, re you know, it's going to remind me of Cancun every time I wear it. Or so it's a really bizarre, um, it's one of the few true interactive art pieces because it's not really jewelry unless someone's wearing it. You know, you can have jewelry in a museum 
and yeah. I can make something that you'd never be able to wear. But that's not a piece of jewelry then, it's a piece of sculpture, you know, because it's not jewelry until it's on the body. And so it, it's, a, it's a fascinating puzzle. It, it presents far more puzzles than the, just the sculpture does. So that's why it was really compelling. I never thought I'd make jewelry. I had never had a desire to make jewelry. And uh, Have you ever designed you know, anything for making, yourself? Oh, sorry, go ahead, yeah. Oh, no, 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 even for myself. I, oh, I don't wear rings. I mean, I have a oh, $3,000 monitor right here. <laughs> Scratch the hell out of it. It's, I'm not gonna abuse my poor Wacom like that. <laughs> no, I'm not a big jewelry wearer. You know, I have earrings, but... Um, that sounds nice, actually. <laughs> that sounded nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> There's a good story about that. Never mind. Um, <laughs> okay. It, it's funny because, you know, once again, I'd never, even my earrings were purely a weird business decision. Um, my friend wanted, um, I used to have really long hair, like down to my chest long hair, because I could put it up. I'm really a utilitarian, you know, put it in a ponytail. Great. It's done. You know, and he asked if he could shave my head into patterns and pierce my ears. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so he gave me this weird leopard pattern that came up into this big Gerber baby cue thing in front. And they punched big holes in my ears. And, you know, this is the early 90s. So big earrings were not, I mean, you know, it was more like a circus freak thing at that point. It was not a thing you saw every day. And so doing that and I went back home and my friend and business partner was like what are you doing I'm like what are you talking about he goes we have a Disney pitch tomorrow and I'm like oh shit because Disney at that time still had a no facial hair or yeah no facial hair for their employees like men could not have beards or mustaches at the time like the company said no you know uh oh yeah and so I walk in looking like a circus clown and, you know, I have beautiful suits and nice shoes. And, you know, I mean, I know how to present. And we went in and we were the second ones in. And Disney used to be absolutely sadistic about this. They'd hire, they'd bring everyone in who was bidding on the job and they'd make you sit in the room with the other competitors. So you knew who you were competing against. And then you had to sit and wait and they'd come and announce who won. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, Disney's the devil, they're evil. Um, and so uh, we <laughs> we're the second ones who go in, and they just looked at me like, "What is wrong with you?" And um, we'd come out, and you know, we're sitting. There were probably nine or ten people there. Um, we're in the bathroom, and Tom was the guy who was the project manager of the thing. And he came in the bathroom. He goes, "Oh, you are a machinate motherfucker!" And I'm like what what could you mean because i have no idea what he's talking about so play coy right what? yeah <laughs> and he's like you know you came in and you look like a clown and then you knew what you were talking about so in your mind in our minds you went from asshole to oh very confident person where everyone else came in and if you're dressing the part they expect you to know what you're talking about so any little hiccup or dent is a hit against you not okay. every good thing is a thing. So they're just looking at knocking points off to see who's the best, where we came in and we were at zero and we yeah. added points. It's and so, all about managing the expectations. <laughs> right. 
And so we go in and he's like, and every person who comes in, we compare to you now. You are the bar. And he's like, it's, he goes, you know, you're all getting this job because now we're looking at you and knocking points off from you. So everyone's initially going to be, and I was like, oh, well, great. And I kept my ears pierced and I shaved my head because I couldn't run around looking like a leopard. <laughs> that would be fun though. <laughs> that would be absolutely amazing. The, 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 the dyed yellow uh, Fu Manchu that glowed in the dark. And yeah, no, it was, it was definitely a thing, but. Uh, <laughs> God. Uh, the early nineties. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. So who were your first like models for jewelry? Because I assume like you printed as well, like the, when you designed the jewelry and who, um, were, who are your models now? Like if you design something, like if you print something. Yeah. Well, I originally, my original jewelry were those skull rings and I hand carved those. So that was all hand carved waxes. And then when I did this, um, when I first, I was like, oh, I'm going to do jewelry. Um, it was Matrix and I milled it. I used a milling machine. And then, um, yeah, now everything's print. I mean, okay. I, I've been printing for, well, I mean, decades. You know, I mean, one of the first models I ever made, we printed. But, you know, that cost me almost like 400 bucks at the time. And oh, was on a solid skate machine. And it you know, thing is, 20 years ago, solid skate machine, same machine it is now, and they're almost perfect, you know, but they start at 25,000 bucks, go up to almost 50. Yeah, no, 100%. And so, like, um, what material do you print in now? Like, do you have just, like, one printer, or it's a variety for different materials? How do well, you go about that? Yeah, so, um, we have a solid skate machine, so that's purely wax and you don't support it because it builds its own supports that you just wash off. So you don't have to worry about supporting. And then we had a B9 for a while. Um, now I have Form Labs, you know, the, the Form 2, um, working on a Form 3. I really want the big Form 3, so working on that. Um, but I think as far as like entry-level printers go, Form Labs is killing it because their material sciences are just amazing. You know, what they're doing with the resins and stuff. And I don't think they're going anywhere. You know, a lot of the smaller companies, you get out and you start to compete for a while, but can you really carry that company? Are you still going to innovate? You, and so the people, I get yelled at on the stream, on Pixelogic stream all the time because people are like, that's not a cheap printer. And I'm like, that's a dirt cheap printer, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have an Envision Tech that's almost $220,000. So, 5,000 bucks is dirt cheap. And now they have the new ones. There's a whole bunch of them that are in that 300 to $1,000 range. And I just, I've never used any of them because they're not a true 25 micron. And most people are like, well, you know, I don't need that. Well, fine. I'm talking about things you can make money on. I'm not talking about printing, you know, dragon toys for your kid. I mean, this is something that's going to hold up. It's going to print. It's going to have the quality that you can use it as a professional printer. And I think Form Labs is really that ground level professional printer. Okay. And so, so that's like yeah. the so, typical like recommendation that you would give to people. Yeah, I would suggest getting a Form Labs. I mean, they're, they support their product. You know, once again, it's tied to MIT. So they're tied to the MIT New Materials Labs. So they're actually getting free research done there. You know, I mean, and they've had third round investments, so they have more money than God. 
you know, so they're a good company, you know, they're a solid company. Um, there are a number of other of these new printers, and if someone wants to send me one, I'd be happy to try it out. You know, <laughs> but, but, you know uh, I get a form lapse free, so you know, hey. that's it. <laughs> yes, you know, and it's a good product, you know. And I see other stuff that's okay. I just think that having a true twenty-five micron printer is important because your surface resolution. And thing is, is you know, if you're just building like little figurines and stuff for yourself you don't care if those surfaces are perfect you don't care if they burn out easily you don't you know more and form labs is doing a lot of good research like they the first castable was an abortion it was horrifying it didn't burn out well their second round works much better they're coming out with another um a new castable that's more wax so the more wax you get in your resin you get better burnout but all resins have the same problems, you know, they're not wax. So if it's an SLA machine, it's resin. So you get thermal expansion, you get, you know, micro gas boil off during the burnout, you get, there are lots of technical issues that come with using resin. And that's why SolidScape's great because it's an additive printer and it, it is wax, you know, it burns out perfectly. You don't have any of those issues. So, but $25,000 starter price, you know? <laughs> That's it, yeah. So, like, what is the actual, like, you know, role of 3D printer in life of somebody who makes jewelry? Is it just to, um, like, like, to what extent is it possible to test the scalability of a piece that you're creating? Like, um, how accurate is that? And, you know, like, what are the use cases for you? Like when sure. you, yeah, how frequently would you actually print? Like when would be the first print? I print all the time. I okay. print all the time. So the castable is a slightly more expensive wax or resin. It's about $100 more than some of the other resins. So um, there's um, a resin called uh, Pro Gray that I use quite a bit. Um, they now have some new tough resins that they just came out with that I haven't tried yet. Um, so I print first in these um, mechanically, how would you say it, resins that support mechanical joints, right? So if I have a hinge or a clip, I can actually build that and see if it works, right? It's tough. It's not going to fall apart. So I print on something I can work on that, like when I have clips, if I have, you know, um, chains you know they have to be able to function hold up to daily wear so i use their pro gray and i assume i'm going to switch to their tough because they have a tough that's kind of flexible that i i like and so i do everything in that base material first that just lets you look at it how did the prints come out and luckily the the even in some of the engineerings it'll print at 50 microns and um that's plenty of detail to at least see what's showing up or not, right? And I tend to um, then print it in the castable wax. But when we're going into production production, we'll use the solidscape. And then what we'll do is we'll make a silicone mold off of the solidscape model. And then we'll actually use standard casting wax. We do wax injection for that so you don't have to deal with uh, 
you get shrinkage in parts and things like that. And if you know your wax, you know what your standard shrinkages are. So you can use that, you know, because I think we are at about two and a half percent shrinkage from model to finished part. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know there is this level oh, still. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's a lot better if you're just making a master part and then making a silicone mold off of it, because then you only get the shrinkage from the wax injection and then your investment, you can get a little shrinkage there. So yeah, depending on what you're using, um, yeah. you get shrinkage rates and then you just, you know, you just add it to every model. So it doesn't matter as long as you're using the same place. Yeah. Well, still, it's like a lot of testing to be done. So all of this testing. A lot of testing to be done. Yeah. I mean, you got to think I probably print, like I'll do the first print and that is just to look at the part, you know, um, what's it look like? Does it do what it's supposed to do? Does it hurt? You know, did I forget? Oh, it has antlers. Maybe I should take those off, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and so the first one is just purely, did my details show up? Is it what I think it should look like? And then you look at it, you measure it, and you decide what you need to change. So then I'll make the second print, which is usually for um, mechanical fidelity. You know, is it actually doing what I want it to do? Is it moving how I want it to move? Does it fit how I want it to fit? And then I'll do a third print, and we'll look at that. Then you cast it. And now you have to measure the casting. Oh, yeah. And then you change your print size <laughs> because that casting is never going to be right the first time. And so you then, you know, go back, do it again. Yeah. So, you know, you probably have, you know, a six to eight phase from design to production, you know. Mm -hmm. And what's is nice it about the computer is it allows you to pull out some of the traditional ones because you used to have to sculpt it cast it, look at it, rehand sculpt it, cast it, look at it, oh, rehand sculpt it again, cast it, look at it, and you might have to re-sculpt it again. Or now you just change the little part you want. I mean, it's really cut a lot of iteration work out of the original process, but it's still, you know, it's fairly arduous. I mean, like if you're, once again, if you have your Etsy shop and you're just making things and you make it, you get it cast and you put it out there at whatever size it needs to be, who cares? You know, I mean, it doesn't matter because you're going to sell whatever's there, you know. Now, if you need to make that in, you know, 16 different sizes from 5 to 13 by half size, you know, you can't afford for those not to be right. Yeah. You know, because everything, every second that someone has to do during cleanup adds time to your production process. Definitely. Well, I guess it's also like, it's not only like different use case scenarios, I guess uh, you can always start with just an Etsy shop. And then yeah. as you learn the skill and as yes. you get better, you understand the sizing, you understand the, the differences, the, the shrinkage and uh, mm -hmm. just kind of a ramp, yeah. ramp it up. What's crazy is if you change casters, you're going to have to reevaluate all of that. You oh, know. amazing. That's good news. <laughs> what kind of casting does it, what are they using? Are they using injection mold? Are they using, you know, a spinning back, a spinning injection? Are they using vacuum overpressure? I mean, you know, are they using a new vacuum overpressure compared to an old vacuum overpressure? You know, is their machine designed to do big throws and they're throwing little single part? You know, I mean, there's just, 
And that's why I tell all my students, like, look, learn to design and then develop a relationship with a casting facility. Because if you're going to try to do it all yourself, you're going to spend years making garbage. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's like, let the, let you know, I want to drive Formula One. Well, I'm going to spend all my time learning to drive a Formula One car. I'm not going to learn how to build a Formula One car. You know, it's like you have to understand that jewelry is not only interactive, it's collaborative. You know, the people who are successful one-stop shops are people who were raised as children as bench jewelers. So they know that all the bench jewelry stuff, they know stone setting, they know casting, they know how to do it. And then they're learning the computer because that, that bench jewelry stuff, the jewelry stuff takes, I mean, it's years to learn just one part of it. Like you have to do six months of classes to become a good stone setter. And that's just to become okay. You know, it's, it's crazy. And then it's like, okay, well, do you have insurance because if you blow up a $35,000 sapphire while you're trying to sit it, oops, you know, uh -oh. I've seen, you know, at jewelry stores, I've seen where they're changing the size. So you put this putty around the stone or you set the stone in water while you're soldering, right? So the stone never heats up. But I've seen people work on it and then put it in water because that's what you normally do. You know, you're cooling it down, but they heated the stone up as well. Put it in water and blow the stone to shards. And so, and that's a very, I mean, that's not a hack. That's a professional who's doing that. And you just forget, you know, you've been working on something. You just, you know, it's like sticking things in your mouth. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gave myself cobalt poisoning because I used to do watercolors and doing renderings, you know, and <laughs> I was using really, really good cobalt blue and I washed out and then and I'd point my brush with my mouth. I gave myself cobalt poisoning. So habit is a dangerous thing. <laughs> Yeah. And if you're ignorant, you don't know that you shouldn't do that. Okay, well, <laughs> wow. Or is there uh, yeah. So yeah. The whole world of information, you know. No, completely. Like, and actually learning several worlds of information, like, it's pretty damn hard because you don't know how to prioritize, but you also probably yeah. will never get to the famous 10,000 hours in each world because that's yeah, just exactly. not, it's just not possible in a like w during the human life at like uh, at no. a good level everywhere. So you need to work with people. Yeah, no, especially in the jewelry world, you really do. And like I said, if you just want to be a crypty crafty little person who's making, and I'm not, I know it sounds belittling, but that's not what I mean. Where if you just want to make crap and put it out there, great. But if you want this to be your career and you plan to make lines, not just one-offs and you have to, you know, there's a lot that goes along with that. And yeah, you, you gotta think, we, we laughed hysterically. It was, had to be two years ago. Um, I consolidated all my drives, right? So I, everything that was a duplicate, I eliminated and, you know, consolidated my drives and I quick save every 30 minutes. So, I have a full running record of everything I do. And that way, if I go into um, copyright infringement battles, I have an entire history of how that was done. Where if you copied me, 
you're going to have maybe two versions of the ring. Well, I have the entire development of the ring. Like that sugar skull, that's the most knockoff skull. I mean, it is knocked off everywhere. It's crazy. And if I had enough money to go after these ding-dongs, I would. But I mean, they're in China and Thailand, the places that are making them, and it's just not going to happen. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, it's like people who are selling it here, if I go to, you know, court, I have an entire, I have 10 years of history on that ring. That's, well, actually, it's probably 14 years of history on that ring. That was one of the first rings I made. And, you know, I can prove it. So this quick save has been in ZBrush for a while now. And so I quick save every 30 minutes. So I have a lot of quick saves. And that's in turn why I have 100 terabytes of files. So we added them, we added them up and I had 88,666 minutes of quick saves, right? Because it was 30 minutes and I just added them up. And we then in turn broke that into years and it was like a little over three years of hours, right? So they had only had QuickSave and ZBrush at that time for about five years. So I had three of five years sitting in a chair. And so it's like, <laughs> People are like, oh, well, you sleep half your life. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Apparently not. If you're a quitter, you do, I guess. But yeah. that's what people don't understand anymore is, you know, Google isn't learning. You know, YouTube isn't learning. You have to do it. There's no, oh, look, I looked it up on the internet. Now I know kind of thing with this stuff. It's man hours. It's purely hand working. And I mean, I was a physical sculptor for almost 30 years before I started this. So, you know, there's a lot of sculptural knowledge I had when I was coming into the process. And yeah, it's been fascinating. It's Wow. It's, and like, you know, like one last bit that I really wanted to uh, dig in a little bit in terms of designing, um, you mentioned before that there are so many rules that are like maybe need to be broken or need to be more flexible in like jewelry and then ZBrush and sculpting. And so like merging the rules of the three worlds together. So now when you design or like when you mentor somebody on designing a jewelry, like what are, what is the base uh, rule set that you would, you know, recommend starting with? So is there anything that is like, I don't know, like, uh, wool thickness or like I don't know like uh, materials is are there any rules that actually make sense to start with or it's just like purely experimenting with designs and then like creating well there are I mean there are lots of rules okay fine. and I pay attention oh that's good and to I know that's already helpful <laughs> yeah I, I, honestly I would say look what you need to do is get a printer and get ZBrush and first print things that you can wear right and you'll you'll find out very so the thing is is that it becomes very obvious very quick certain things you can't put sharp spike things on the side of a ring because if someone shakes your hand you've now impaled yourself you know you, so the size of the rings need to be thin you know i put like these big deep v's on the bottom of all my rings and i call them striking plates because now you go out to bars and everyone has like these hard countertops and poured cement countertops and things like that. And you, you tap that ring on that countertop three times and now you've just flattened out your ring, you know? And so there are a couple design things that I use, but 
honestly, I would say design freely. You know, just design freely. Try to make a beautiful object. Print it. Does it wear okay? And I mean, wear it around, you know, wear that print around. And you'll see where it rubs on you. You'll see where it hits. You'll notice that you keep poking yourself in the eye with it. You know, you'll, and now change it a little. So now edit that design. And then you're going to send it to a caster and they're going to say, oh, we have to do this. We can't do this. We have to do this. And then you figure out, don't always give in to the caster because casters are lazy. They don't want to change their process. They want just to be able to plug your piece in right next to another piece. So they want your piece to be, you know, the, the best thing they can make is like a men's wedding band. <laughs> it's round playing, <laughs> got nothing to do with it. They're like, yeah, do that all day. Everything should look like that. You know, they're going to do something that they don't have to hand finish. They want to be able to tumble finish, you know. So, you know, it's, that's where the trick comes in is finding someplace that'll produce that work. And then after man hours, you're going to, like, I don't even think about wall thicknesses and stuff anymore. Like, I kind of know, you know, it's like, okay, that's okay. going to be a problem. And especially, you know, where you really get into problems is when you get into bigger parts and it's like thick to thin, to thick, to thin, to thick, to thin. So is the metal, the metal's going to back up at one of those thin spots. So now, okay, are you screwing to that area? Is that something you can, or do you have to make it in two pieces? That's what comes with knowledge as you go on. But I started out as a sculptor and I didn't, I didn't know a single jewelry rule. I didn't care. You know, it was like, here, does it fit? Does it look like what I want it to? Like I said, a lot of people were like, that'll never cast. And half the stuff we thought would be really hard to cast worked out. We were like, wow, that was easy. And then the, just this big dumb skull ring, it should have been super easy. Six other rings cast that were alike cast. And we figured out that from where we were sprueing it, it came in and it created turbulence because this was doing the, you know, and it was just how metal flowed through that ring made it impossible to cast. But the second I changed one little shape, flowed easy. So you have to wrap your head around a little bit of like fluid dynamics, you know, okay. how is the metal coming into this thing? Is it going to create chatter? Because if it creates like a lot of broiling, you get air in your metal and that those air bubbles will stay there and that's porosity and that's the problem. So I would say, no, don't think about the rules. Make beautiful objects, print them and wear them. And I'd make wagers now. There are very few things that you're going to make that can't be cast. You might pay out the butt for it, but you know, that's what, but you can also sell that for more, you know, because that's a, a thing that's obviously hard to make, you know, Wow. So, interesting. No. I mean, interesting and liberating at the same time, you know, when you know that uh, basically the difference in between design is how much it's going to cost you to produce that. But like, you know, yeah, it's a brilliant it's, design. Yeah. You can produce anything. There is nothing that can't be produced. It might have to be made in 12 pieces and blah, 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 but it can be made once. So, you know, you, you're really having to wrap your head around what are you going to do with that? Is it just one thing? Are you really trying to think about how to do production? And if you're yeah. really trying to think about how to do production, it's a lot different. I mean, yeah. you do have to think about a lot of things, but for the most part, screw the rules, make beautiful things. Cause it's really funny. I, I've been saying this for a while. And as soon as I get my 
education thing set up where I'll be making a little bit of passive income and I'll only have to do updates of videos like once a year. I really want to just break out and make some other things because with jewelry, you are in a very, very, very limited canvas. You know, a ring can only be so big. You know, bracelets can only be so big. I avoid earrings because earrings have to be super light. You know, you have 12 gram earrings, people bitch and cry and whine about it. I'm like, oh my God, these the earrings I'm wearing are two and a half ounces. It's like, come on. <laughs> okay, I got much bigger holes, but I mean, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, come on, guys. So, you know, I don't make a lot of earrings. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the one of the startups we did was women's earrings, but we wound up casting them in steel because steel oh. is a lot lighter than silver. Oh, okay. Interesting. So we could get more earring out of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I love that because, you know, there's so many, um, like it's just like uh, problem solving. So yeah. just there is, there is the, the design and then like, let's see how we bring it to life. And it is not yeah. like uh, we can't, let's just see how yeah. and uh, through material, through implementation, maybe, I don't know, like uh, yeah. uh, so many things can be done so that it finally is wearable and likable. Well, and it's crazy because that's what kept me doing this for 16 years. I mean, I, like I said, I never had an intention of being a jeweler. I mean, it's nothing that I ever thought I would do. And um, what I liked about Hollywood was that problem solving. Every film was a new thing. Every film was something interesting. There was a puzzle tied to it. And, you know, we haven't even brought up stones. You know, now all of a sudden, <laughs> oh, yeah, I designed this for an eight millimeter stone. I can't get that stone in an eight millimeter stone. <laughs> oh, here's a weird cut opal. It's like, oh, well, I have to build around that bezel. You know? So, you know, they're just, it's a never ending, you know, puzzle show. And it, it's cool. It, like I have no intention in the world to want to learn about, I mean, I know about casting and I know about, like if I had to make a ring, I know enough about the process, I could do it, but I have no desire to do it. I mean, there are people who are brilliant at what they're going to do. I don't want to go through all that crap. I just want to learn how to design and then let someone else do that other work. And, you know, sadly, that's one of the things that we're really missing in this country is, um, affordable quality casting. And with this education platform I'm setting up, one of the things we're going to try to do is set up a um, casting facility that's tied to support the students where we're not necessarily trying to make the money off the castings, but that becomes, we have other schemes to pay for yeah. that. But, you know, where we can have a place that you know that you have, where you can, you're going to get Produce. as affordable casting as you can get. And it's going to be, you know, as high quality as there is. And that's teaming up with, a, you know, an equipment company and this other stuff. And then hopefully setting up a marketplace, because that's the other thing is trying to be able to sell your crap. But where we have a jutsi, yeah, <laughs> where, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, but unlike Etsy and things like that, where, you know, you don't know where things are manufactured from. You actually have a place where you don't have to stress about the manufacturing. We'll stress about the manufacturing. And then we'll have a marketplace where, oh, look, this is stuff that is other people's designs, but they, they're getting it manufactured through the same hub. So the real goal of this whole education thing is to create a one-stop hub for mm -hmm. new artists. Because, you know, 
trying to get jewelers to adopt ZBrush has been like this 16 year quest of mine. And you know, ZBrush is kind of taking hold in manufacturing now. I was the first person to ever get a three-dimensional jewelry model out of ZBrush and into production. It was not a manufacturing program then. It used to be a game and film, you know, asset program. It, it wasn't meant to export, you know. And it took a lot of work. And I remember putting my first little silver ring up and everyone was like, holy cow, that's a beautiful rendering on the ZBrush forums. It was like, oh, that's beautiful. I was like, well, no, I made it. Look, and I posted the picture of the milling machine. I was like, that's silver. And the two offices of ZBrush, Gentle Giant and some other company called me within four hours of that post and they were like, how'd you do it? And so, you know, from then it's been this quest to turn ZBrush into a manufacturing program. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, now you see the weaknesses and you see the environment and you look at the industry and you're like, well, you know what? We can change this, you know? Yeah. And what's interesting is like this whole pandemic thing and, you know, you're going to see a lot of these jobs not come back, you know, because there are people who've wanted to convert into automation, but you can't be that prick who, oh, I'm going to fire 3,000 people and use these two robots, you know. And I think you're going to see a lot of these jobs not come back, you know, if this lasts for any period of time. And, you know, there have to be new paradigms of how we're dealing with things. And we can create things, we can manufacture things. And, you know, bringing it back local, I think is, you know, something that's a pretty solid model. I mean, yeah, you look at the craft yeah. socialism movement in England and things like that, you know, some of that stuff is still in business since the thirties, you know, and it's like, you just need to get it right. And I think it's possible, but cause you know, who yeah. doesn't want to stay at home and work? Oh, <laughs> exactly. Who doesn't? That's actually, that's what we have to do forced, yeah. but, you know, quite happy, right? Um, yeah. um, it's really okay. funny. I have to leave home to come here to stream. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't I have don't. internet. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Very rare you. Um, I know. Uh, if I never had to leave my house, I'd be so happy. Everyone's well, like, I know. It's like, this hasn't changed your life at all. I was like, well, I lost like $18,000 worth of work. But other than that, no, I, I don't, it really hasn't changed my life at all. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. Thomas, so um, we have a little tradition here of uh, running a quick, uh, uh, it's a 20-question questionnaire. So, okay. um, and you can reply with just a, yeah. a few words. Uh, to each question. She's like, so shut just, up, you ramble on too much. Short no, answers, no, Joe. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just go to... <laughs> <laughs> Enough. Next. <laughs> no. <laughs> of course. Uh, busted. <laughs> okay. So, um, because then I actually, uh, after the questionnaire, uh, wanted you to... Um, uh, tell a little bit about where you're streaming and what time but before sure. we jump into it let's just do the questionnaire and then okay. uh, so that uh, your contacts and everything stays in the very end of this um so Sounds good. all right let's go for it um what's your favorite place in the world no no <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's tough i'll tell you what I, I adore Thailand. I, 
like Southern Thailand is just like one of my favorite places there is. It's just awesome. Brilliant. Um, what are you listening to while you're working? Audible books. All I do is listen to books. I haven't listened to music really in a long time. Yeah, I'm also not the person who can concentrate with the music for some yeah. reason. Yeah. Um, my OCD what... ties to the linear narrative of the book and I don't get into loop reasoning. So it's my only app. I listen to books 24 hours a day. Crazy. <laughs> wow. You, you must definitely beat me on like the numbers for a year, 100%. I have a, oh yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what's your favorite way to gain inspiration? Oh, that's, hmm. um, you know, honestly, I look at old art for the most part or nature, you know, it depends kind of on what I'm trying to get inspiration on, but um, I really, I try not to look at anything contemporary okay. because your subconscious can latch onto things you think are awesome and you really can copy other people's work and not know it. You know, oh, because okay. you're like, oh, I like that shape. And your subconscious can rebuild things that you've seen. You know, it could have been only once, but your brain's like, no, that was it. That's the one. And you can do it. So I tend to look at old stuff or nature, you know. Okay. Makes sense. So um, what's your big life goal? After what's my Hollywood? Life? Big life goal. Um, you know what? To create a education platform and hub that can make what I've done over the last 16 years a lot easier for the people around me, you know. Brilliant. The education stuff really is, and once again, I never thought I'd, I, I left grad school because I was like, what do I need a graduate degree for? I'm never going to teach. <laughs> Oops. Uh, yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> Things that we tell ourselves, right? Bad. <laughs> Some yeah. bad choices. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite drink? Mm. a really really good boozy stout or um i'm a big fan of what are they called uh, something stormy it's like ginger ale and rum and something stormy i don't know what they call the damn thing but anything with ginger like real ginger ale and rum is good <laughs> okay um well that's definitely not moscow mule but stormy Oh, okay. I think is what it's called. Dark and stormy. Dark and stormy. Oh my God. Okay. I'm just like adding on my list of ginger ale drinks. Well, the other thing is like up here in like Seattle, there's a place called Ruth's. Ruth's okay. ginger ale. And they actually hand press ginger ale. So like we have some really spectacular ginger ale. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. One, once again, like when we can travel, you know, well, anyway. Yes. <laughs> not going to talk about this. I want right. to introduce you to ginger that's like nothing else. It's awesome. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so what's the first thing that you do in the morning? Take a, go in the hot tub. Okay. If you Get didn't my become... coffee, sit in the hot tub. <laughs> That's alive, huh? Okay. Oh, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> of course, yes. Um, what's your backup career? Oh, there is no backup career. Commit, man. There's no backup. <laughs> Jump, man. <laughs> okay, love that. Um, what's your recent favorite book? Um, I listened to a book called, I think it's called The Sparrow. And it's a science fiction book. And basically... They discover um, radio signals from Alpha Centauri, 
but there's a um, a uh, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> See, this is what happens to me in my poor brain. Um, a Catholic monk. Oh, for God's sake, I can't think of. Okay. Hard words. Uh, the Society of Jesus, whatever they're called. Um, and so he winds up going with them. And, but so it sort of starts in the future and works back. Like it meets in the middle as to like what happened, you know, and the, just the concepts of, so I'm, I'm a cultural Catholic. Um, I was raised okay. Catholic. I'm left-handed because, or I'm right-handed because the nun hit me until I used my right hand, you know. So I was raised Catholic. I, yeah, we, I don't know. My beliefs of that stuff, I think you're all silly, but, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, Jewish zombie day wasn't really something I celebrated correctly yesterday. So. <laughs> um, but it's really an interesting book because it goes through some very subtle stuff about dogma and religion and the perspective of religion. And the other book that's very similar is Ursula Le Guin's uh, Left-Handed Darkness, okay. uh, which is a fantastic book kind of about, um, once again, this person is sent to this planet to basically test and introduce them to the wider world saying, oh, there is there are other people in the universe. How are you going to act with them? And they keep getting killed and the one goes back. And the thing is, the gender issues are incredibly fascinating because you have this person who has this, um, you know, um, two-gendered system in his brain and there are different genders and how gender works is not the same, you know. And I think that's an amazing book. Okay, cool. It's similar, it's about perspective of who you're meeting you know and i think that's important because it works every day we all go in with assumptions and no. if you assume you fail <laughs> yeah that's so true actually all right so um who are some of your legends if you follow anyone at all no who, well i mean who are the people that are inspired yeah me? they're Is like yeah I mean kind of a, yes i uh it doesn't have to be online maybe some of the people that yeah that that inspire you from the past or from the current they don't have to be well, the current creators well i think that whole specifically french um art nouveau was really my major inspiration of things i mean um i remember being a little kid and seeing um uh Lewis's work in Chicago, the architect, um, Lewis Sullivan, and then, um, you know, Hector Guermont, who did the Paris subway stations, and these forms just spoke to me since I was a little kid, and, uh, and then as that came up, you know, I started sculpting this weird stuff, but I was also like a Ray Harryhausen fan, so it was all this Art Nouveau with skeletons, bones, and weird crap in it, and then Alien came out, my mom brought me home the Omni magazine, and the penthouse, since they owned both magazines, with all of Giger's stuff in it. And so then, because my mom was like, I always thought you were insane doing all these weird tendony things and bones. And, you know, <laughs> so she was like, no, someone made money off of this look. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> and so, you know, there's that Beksinski. He's a painter who's incredible. Um, I really, I, I dodge, like I said, I avoid most 
modern creators. I mean, like yeah. I have friends, but I tend to not, I, I prefer to work in a vacuum okay. than in a world of immediate inspiration. All right. And the last question that I'm hesitant to ask, but since it's a tradition, I'm not gonna, you know, like censor it from, from this edition. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's about the bucket list. Do you have mm. anything on the bucket list? Oh, that's fascinating. You know what? I mean, I've, I've lived a pretty wonderful life. There are very few things that I've wanted, that I want to do that I haven't done. You know, like I said, you know, finishing this, this education thing is really the thing that I want to do. I mean, I used to have a lot of money and a lot of time. So most of the dumb things that I wanted to do, I've probably have already, already done. been done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, now you're, you're kind of like post bucket list. You're like, okay, well that was all fun. Now what am I going to do? And, you know, our, Oh my God. Our, our family had this whole weird thing about bloodlines and, you know, legacy. And I think, you know, it's, legacy is sort of what I'm working on now. Cause it's like, I know that I can make wonderful objects. It just comes down to if I can get the education thing up going on its own, I really want to have the free time and the money to be able to just make a handful of stuff that I haven't had the capacity to make. Cause technology is finally catching up to where things that I've had in my mind can be produced easily. So I guess it's, get that over with so I can actually just sit down and make art. Yeah, I think maybe that's my bucket. Okay. <laughs> I would love to just be able to Sounds make like stuff. a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be way <laughs> easier if it was just like, I don't know, like a, a huge foam party or something. I don't know, but that's probably been yeah. done like a million times. <laughs> oh yeah, oh no. Most people are like, oh, I want to scotch it. Yeah, I've already jumped out of a plane on LSD, you know. <laughs> 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 I've done most of that dumb shit, so now. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez, oh, hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. Okay, so that's finally. Uh, where do you stream, and what's the easiest way to get in touch with you? Well, I know Google that you do stream regularly. Yeah. So right now, I stream every Monday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on at ZBrush Live, right? Yeah. So on Pixelogic Twitch, and then. Um, and then if people wanted to look at pictures of your feet, we can put a picture, put a link to your Instagram as well. Yeah, Instagram. I mean, really, if you just Google T.S. Vittelsbach, there's a lot there. I mean, you know, because if you, everything like my Twitch and my, like my Twitch is Twitch slash T.S. Vittelsbach. My Instagram oh, slash T.S. Vittelsbach. Yeah. So if you look up T.S. Vittelsbach, you're going to find me. Okay, amazing. Yeah. And I'll put all these Art links station. to the show notes. Yes, so, so that yeah. it's easier for people who don't yeah. know how to spell the last name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when I lived in LA, like the whole, there was the whole Cholo trend where they put in big block letters their name on across the back of their shoulders, you know. Ah, okay, so you, like, that wouldn't fit. I was like, I always wanted mine like that, except they'd all be like a half inch wide and like six inches tall. It's like, you can only fit, you know, that many letters in, you know. It's like, I was like, that would be quite as aesthetically intimidating. <laughs> Gomez, you know? It's like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but I don't uh, have that tattoo <laughs> that's all right yes <laughs> all right Thomas thank you so much that's been of course. so 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 productive and uh thanks for sharing all this information like you know it's uh um it's amazing that that you just like speak about all this and uh I really appreciate oh, what you do and uh um it's not only about art it's actually about like sharing the knowledge it's huge I agree because I think that is one of the biggest problems we have nowadays is 
everyone thinks that what they know is special. And it's not. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but someone else thought of it too, dude. Get over it. And just, you know, it's better to develop a community of positive creating people than thinking that, oh, I use this brush like this and no one's ever going to learn how to do it if I don't know it. It's like, no, now you're just an asshole. You know, it's like, just, okay, just share the information. And I found, because in Hollywood, that was a big deal. And I succeeded because I was open with my information. And because no matter what, none of you are going to be as good as me at what I do. Now, you're going to be great at what you do, but everyone's scared. I don't know. I feel pretty confident in myself as a creator, so I'm not worried about someone getting better than me. So let's bring yeah. everyone up, you know? 100%. You know, I can only uh, build on top of this saying that there are two mindsets. There is a mindset of like being scared and there is a mindset of growth and you can yeah. be only in one or another you cannot like be scared be nope. yeah or like and and grow you can like just choose your way and you're either protective or you're open so it's just yeah. like no way the door is open or closed yeah because so, yeah. i mean i've i think i've been successful because well i'll share any information i have and most people are grateful. So if you have information that I don't know, then usually most people just give that to me. I mean, I understand if you're part of a corporation and they develop software that makes helicopters look like, fine, that's, yeah, I get proprietary. But that's not just random information. I mean, people get stupid about, like, what brush you use in ZBrush. It's like, really, dude? I mean, come on. It, it's a brush. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> All right. Okay. So that's where we round up. Thanks. And, and I'm like, you know, we, I normally don't go over 40 minutes, but I was like, no, there is no way there's, this is gold. Okay. Thomas. And you usually don't go over 40 minutes, but he just won't shut up. <laughs> yes, yes. At 40 minutes, we just started. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Thomas. I'm going to turn off the recording. Thanks for of coming course. again. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Wow, that was quite an episode, right? If you guys enjoyed the show, please give us a like and in the comments, feel free to ask anything, anything, anything. I'll make sure we pass all your comments to Thomas and he will hopefully get back to you because he's really super responsive and well, in addition, he's just a nice guy, right? So if you want to say thank you to Art Heroes, please leave us a five-star review on any podcasting platform of your choice. We really like hearing from you. And well, tune in next week for more fun and more insights from digital arts industry. And stay safe. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Art Heroes Podcast. Check out www.artheroes.co for show notes, more interviews, and free tools made for you by our team of mentors. Tune in next week for more inspiration, and keep up the great work, hero. Mm-hmm.